Turn to Psalm 16, verses 5 through 8, and let's read God's Word together. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Let's pray together. O make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, there was an illustration, and I'm just, I've, got, I've got two queen illustrations, and this, because obviously the Queen of England passed away, and so I'm actually oddly fascinated by the, the queen and the royal, like, I don't know why, it just doesn't make, it doesn't make sense even to me, and so, but I've got two queen illustrations, so I tried to have three, and my joke was going to be to have two about the queen and then one about the band, um, but I just couldn't make it, I just couldn't make it work, um, but there's, there's one that I heard this week, uh, and that was kind of making the rounds. Actually, Catherine heard it as a sermon illustration in, in one of the sermons that she listens to. Uh, and, uh, but I actually saw it. It came across my news feed, and so I felt licensed to go ahead and actually grab this one. Um, but Richard Griffin was one of the Queen's bodyguards, and he tells of a time that they were out for a picnic. The Queen loved to have outdoor picnics when she was at her her residence in Balmoral, which is in Scotland somewhere. And so uh, on the, the land that they were having, the picnic kind of runs through, there's a, a long trail, uh, a hiking trail that kind of cuts across the land. And in Britain, there's this this great tradition of, of uh, kind of Britain being what's known as a, a free-to-roam country means like all these hiking trails aren't just restricted to, to public lands, but they cut across private lands and, and that sort of thing. And so hikers have this, this right to, to kind of walk across uh, all these beautiful British countryside. And so two American hikers just happened by nearby where the queen was uh, having her picnic with her bodyguard, just, just the two of them. And so they, they struck up a conversation and it became immediately obvious that they had no idea that they were talking to the queen of England. And, and so they were, they were telling them about where they were from and where they had been on their vacation. And um, they asked the queen, so where, where do you live? And she said, well, I live in London, but I have a holiday house just over the hills here. And they say, oh, how often have you been coming up here? And she said, well, since I was a little girl. So that's over 80 years. And she said, they said, well, they knew that they were near, near the Queen's residence in Balmoral. And so they asked her, it's like, if you've been coming up here 80 years, you must have met the Queen at one point. And so she said, uh, no, I've never met her, but Dick here meets her regularly. And she kind of pointed to her, her bodyguard. And so they turned to the bodyguard and said, well, what is she like? And so they had a good relationship and he'd, he'd been working for her for a long time. And, and he said, well, she can be a bit cantankerous at times, but she's got a wonderful sense of humor. 
And before either one of them knows what's happening, the Americans are handing their camera to the queen to take a picture of them (laughs) with the bodyguard. And so, and, but they didn't, so the bodyguard at one point, just not giving anything away, just sort of said, well, why don't you two, why don't you three get a picture here? And so he actually took a picture of them with the queen. And on the way back, uh, the queen said, uh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they show those photographs to their friends in America. And I thought it was a a funny story and kind of illustrates her sense of humor, but we can be so wrapped up in so many different things, so busy and so distracted that we miss the presence of God, right? We just, we totally, we totally miss it. Or we make God so, we make God so transcendent, so completely other, so completely untouchable and unreachable that, that we miss the fact that he's near and that he's really near and accessible to his people. And so when we come to Psalm 16 and the, the plan has been to kind of camp out in Psalm 16 for, for a little while. I'm actually combining last week's sermon and this week's sermon into one. So we'll do this week and then we'll have another week. But when we come to Psalm 16, the psalm, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, kind of starts off sounding like a lament. Uh, It starts off in verse 1, preserve me, O God, David says. And we quickly find out that Psalm 16 is this psalm of confidence. It's, It's not a lament after all, but it's this psalm of confidence in the God of the covenant. And David, David sort of ends that first stanza of saying, like, I have, I have no good apart from you. And what is he saying? And then what does he go on to say through the rest of the psalm? He, he, recognizes, he recognizes that it's the presence of the Lord that makes the difference. Because God himself, God himself is the source of all rest, the worship of God coming into the presence of God is the beginning and end of rest. And so let's look at this three ways this morning. Finding rest in the Lord's providential presence. Finding rest in the Lord's constant presence. And then finding rest in the Lord's stabilizing presence. So his, his providential presence, his constant presence, and his stabilizing presence. Finding rest in the Lord's providential presence. When, when we talk about God's providence, we're talking about something very, very broad. It's a very broad sort of theological concept. It's sort of the more theological you get, the broader it gets. But, but it can also be very specific. But the, the shorter catechism said that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. It's, it's the ways in which God orders and cares for the entirety of his creation. He provides, and hence providence, right? He provides things. He provides food and rain and knowledge and gifts, etc. So everything that is is a gift from God. It's a work of his providence. But it's not only... Not only the things that he provides for everybody, generally in the entire universe, right? But also, when we talk about God's providence as, as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, 
we especially talk about the ways in which he cares for his people. Uh, His his turning especially and his working all things for his glory and our good. And so we see in Psalm 16, it, it goes from this this cry out to God for perfect protection and, and refuge and help in some sort of unspoken time of trouble that the psalmist David is, is going through. It goes from that cry for this help to a celebration of the very presence of God. And it's not even so much a celebration of the, the things in which that God has given to him, you know, the, 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 the specific, but it's, it's just his, his nature and his character. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a celebration of, of God himself that is the psalmist's greatest good. I have no good apart from you. And the psalmist really does find his greatest contentment not in the circumstances of his life, but in the God of those circumstances. And so in 5 and 6, he continues that. Uh, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What does he say God is? God God is his his chosen portion. It's his his cup. Just ahead of that, he says, I'm not going to drink the cup full of the blood sacrifice to idols the, the idolatrous cup full of, but, but God himself is my cup, right? He's, God is his lot. Lot can refer to the, the actual dice or whatever it is that you're using to determine the outcome of the, of the thing to the actual thing that the lot indicates, right? But God is his lot. And he says you have a, he has a beautiful inheritance. God is, God is his beautiful inheritance, and all of these things refer back to, to history of the nation of Israel as Joshua conquered the land and the people conquered the land under Joshua and they, they kind of, sort of, mostly, maybe-ish drove out the, the inhabitants of the land. And after they had conquered it and subdued the people at the very least, they, they cast lots for which parcel of land each tribe would get and the clan, which would the clans get and which family got which parcel of land and and that was their inheritance that was their inheritance forever and and it would even revert back to their ownership during the years of jubilee and and those sorts of things and and but there was there was one tribe that got nothing didn't in terms of land they didn't get any land whatsoever and that was the levites the, the priestly tribe of Aaron. And Numbers eighteen twenty says this, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So everyone else had land to farm and to use to produce what they needed to raise sheep and cattle, whatever they needed. Everybody, all the other tribes had that except for the Levites. The Levites didn't have any land and the, the, they were the priests who worked in the tabernacle and, and later on in the temple. And what does the Lord say? He says, I am your portion. I am your portion. The Lord commanded Moses then 
that everyone else is to, to bring the first and the best, the one-tenth of all that they had, into the, the temple, the tabernacle, the, the, as their tithe. And then the Levites would take that and offer the best of the best of that to the Lord, and whatever was left over was theirs to live off of. And they literally were dependent upon the Lord for their livelihood. And David is saying in the psalm, Yahweh, covenant, covenant God, my life is in your hands. And I think that's a beautiful place to be. I don't want to be anywhere else but resting in dependence on your goodness. David is saying, even when I am crying out to you for deliverance and refuge, that's a good place to be because there's nothing else that I can do but rest. You don't have to have a great quantity of faith. You don't have to have a strong, unshakable, unwavering, like ironclad faith. David's faith was often shaken. His faith was often weak and failing. Like how many times does he say in the Psalms, why are you downcast, O my soul? It's enough to have a weak faith in a powerful, loving, covenant God who is near. Finding rest in the Lord's providential presence, let's look at finding rest in the Lord's constant presence. The world, this is the other queen illustration, like, the world is weird now. Like, it's just, like, it's something fundamental has changed in the course of human history, right? The world is weird now that England has no queen. And there are very few, there are very few constants in the world, right? There are very few, even fewer constants in history. And I just feel like Queen Elizabeth was one of those. And she, like, she wasn't even our queen, right? Uh, and but the the constant presence was was a comfort to many, and she won't be there to to give her country or anybody else that, that sort of comfort and counsel, and she won't come out on that big balcony uh, and and wave and just sort of let people know that she's here. And so I feel like we've lost something, right? And we do that. We 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 lose. So when we lose people who have been a constant presence in our lives. And this was just one example of one person that we all like, knew and knew who she was, right? But it, it, it's the same when we lose people who have been a constant presence, our, our parents or our friends, right? And yeah, definitely even celebrities. But we often say things like, well, we're in, a, we're in a particular situation trying to make a decision or, or don't know what to do. And we often say what? what? Man, I, I sure wish mom or dad was here to, to tell me what to do, right? There's great rest and just the constant presence of someone like that, isn't there? There's great rest in just the constant presence of God. And I, I think the psalmist talks about it, David talks about it in a couple of different ways, how the Lord is present and constant 
But he talks about uh, the Lord is present in his counsel. And then he also says that the Lord is present in his comfort. Uh, Verse 7 and 8, look, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. The Lord is is present in his counsel. So that, that kind of begs the question, right? How do we receive this counsel? How do we receive the counsel of the Lord? And the first and I think, you know, most obvious way is through his word. Receive the counsel of the Lord through his written word, the Bible. Proverbs 2, 6 and 7 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Like, how do you think about God's word? Like, when you think about God's word and what it is and the place that it uh, holds in the lives of believers and, and in your life in particular, like, like, how do you think about it? What is your attitude? Like, honestly, your disposition towards God's word, is it, is it counsel that you really long to hear? Even if it tells you something you don't particularly want to hear, right? One of the things that I'm not, I haven't struggled with, but has, has always challenged me is the way over and over again in the Psalms and other places talks about the Word of God, and particularly God's law. I was talking about this with someone the other, the other a couple weeks ago. Over and over again, the Psalms and other places tells us that, that God's law is greatly to be desired, like his law, the, the do's and don't do's, right? It's greatly to be desired. Not just it's greatly to be desired, it's more desirable than pure gold, well refined. Like I don't, I don't know if someone said, you know, here's a really nice ESV study Bible. Here's a gold nugget. Which would you choose, right? Like I what, like, I know that's kind of a disingenuous sort of example, but more than pure gold, it's sweeter than honey from the honeycomb. What, what does it take to get to that point in your life as a Christian to where you so hunger and desire God's word that it is, that is it of this infinite value to you? Infinite sweetness. Another way I was thinking about that this week is what idol has to fall? What idol has to fall in order for you to desire God's law, his counsel, his word that much? That challenges me. The idol of self, independence, autonomy, right? Yeah, that one probably needs to go. The idol of just wanting to give in to desires and hungers and appetites versus the disciplined life of following Jesus. Yeah. Pray for that idol to fall. Ask God to remove it. Grace covers that. Grace covers our idols. Grace will remove our idols and then 
come in with the comforting knowledge that, that we are still accepted, <laughs> that Christ Jesus forgives, that Christ Jesus will implant in us, in place of this idol, a desire to know him better through his word. The Lord is present in comfort. Imagine you're having a major surgery, like a major surgery, and you were, you were going under like total anesthetic, uh, and, and what face would you want to be the first one you saw when you opened your eyes from having this major life-threatening surgery, right? I mean, definitely you would say Jesus, but if you saw Jesus' face first, that would imply certain things. (laughs) So like, but so the obvious answer for most of us is our our spouse, right? I would want to see Catherine first. Uh, I would want to see see Catherine because what is what does that face mean to me? It means it means home. It means comfort. It means at a certain certain level all is well, right? Even if all is not well and the surgery was totally like a disaster, you know, it, I, it's maybe especially if all is not well, I'd still want hers to be the first face that I see, right? Because of that steadfastness, that covenant commitment, that acceptance, that love that I know our relationship involves, those, those are all communicated just in the appearance of her face. In the troubled thoughts of the night, our covenant God is there. Your mind runs wild at night. If you're, if you're awake at 3 a.m., your mind can, can run wild. It can go into so many different places. And, and I think at some point the, the psalmist is hoping for, longing for, or maybe saying that his mind does, it runs to the Lord. Like in the night, he is, he is always before him. Let word-saturated worship like lead you to rest. When the Word of God is before you on a daily basis, what do you really have access to there? You have access to the very mind of God. My old pastors used to say, it's the mind of God is black words on a white page. Right? It doesn't have to be time-consuming. It doesn't have to be complicated. But this time in the Word is something that I'm, I'm very fond of saying. I can never stop starting. <laughs> Devotions, personal worship, reading your Bible. Never stop starting those things. Because if you're like me, you'll start. And then after a couple of weeks, you'll fizzle out. And then you'll have to restart. And that's the way it goes. But there's grace there. Okay. Finding rest in the Lord's stabilizing presence. One of the most exhausting, (laughs) depleting things about anxiety and, and just life in the overwhelm is the unpredictability, not just of life circumstances, what life's going to throw at you, but your reaction to them. 
Sometimes the unpredictability of my own reaction to things is what exhausts me and depletes me and discourages me the most. Because sometimes you might find one particular stress point manageable one day, but then the next day that same sort of stress point just becomes this overwhelming anxiety-producing thing. And, and if you're like me, life in the middle of the overwhelm can feel like living with someone who just has a serious anger control issue. And the anger you can usually handle, you've learned to sort of cope with the actual anger and the temper of this person and the walk on the eggshells around it, but it's not so much the anger or the outburst, but it's the unpredictability of when and how those outbursts are going to show up that fills you with anxiety. That makes sense. I mean, what is it that, what, what will trigger the fear and paralysis of life in the overwhelm for you? I think that's a big part of, of where the, the anxiety and those feelings of overwhelmingness come from. But, but look at verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. God is near. He is near his people. Yet the Lord has, has set the Lord always before himself in his word and in his counsel, in his turning and running to him, in, in worship. But you know that God doesn't do things that he doesn't want to do, right? God doesn't go places he doesn't want to go. Nobody manipulates God into being with them or into being in a relationship with them. Nobody, nobody obligates God through their actions or behavior or their commitment or their whatever. That, that's not how it works. God doesn't do things he doesn't want to do. He's not with people he doesn't want to be with. And here David is saying, I've set him always before me because he is, <laughs> he is at my right hand. He's already there. God's counsel, his instruction, the, the nightly calming of, of David's anxious thoughts. Those things are a function of God's willing presence with his people. In particular with, with individual followers of his. Like This is one man. Yeah, it's David, but it's still one person. God's loving presence is a stabilizing power for David. His loving presence is, is unrestricted, it's unbounded in its depth and its scope, but it's also utterly predictable. It's completely steadfast. It's the line that we say at the end of our worship service every week, he will, he will quiet you with his love. He will quiet your racing mind in the middle of the night as your thoughts turn to fear, anxiety, worry. God's love brings peace when there was conflict. Romans 5, starting in verse 8, says, these should be familiar to you, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. His love is founded on his faithfulness and his righteousness. It's it's that faithfulness of God that forms the foundation of our salvation. That, That Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's nearness in love to his people. No wonder we can never be shaken. Standing on the person and work of Jesus Christ is our stability. There's a, there's a fear. <laughs> there's an anxiety that comes with an unpredictable life in the middle of the overwhelm. And that can be safely set aside. You can set aside that fear and anxiety and we can, we can find rest from it in the steadfastness and power of the nearness of the God who is ever before us. He has set himself before us this morning. We're about to come to his table and partake with one another of his broken body and shed blood. We are about to experience and taste the goodness and newness of life in Christ Jesus. So as we do that, Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to to know and to experience the comfort of your presence, the the goodness of your nearness to us. We pray that you would help us to know the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus as we we gather around this table this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to know and experience uh, the, the steadfastness of your portion to us in Christ Jesus. And that you would bless us as we, as we just rest and find our rest in your worship and in, in your presence. We pray that you would do this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.